Well, hello again, everybody, and welcome to Tune X Podcast. And uh, I'm one of your co-hosts, Sean, and I'm- sitting to my... I don't know where you are, north of me or west of me or <laughs> south. Directly think, in front of me. I think I'm west of you. Okay. Good enough and, for me. And I'm Lisa. And, and if you hear any clicking yeah, sounds, that's, I was about to say. that's our beagle Lola, who's, even though she has definitely eaten and had several treats today, I think she's wandering around to give us a hint that she wants more food but she's a beagle that's what they do well, yeah exactly she ain't getting more food till <laughs> breakfast so but uh, anyway how have you been dear since uh, it's been a long time since we talked so uh um we live together we talk all the time yeah but they don't know that as far as they're concerned we only talk to each other when we record <laughs> cuz when you listen to a podcast all you know about the podcaster the host is what they do in the podcast but yeah Okay. Anyway. Okay. I'm okay, too. So, there. (laughs) We got that part taken care of. So, um, this is a rarity in that this is the second episode in a row that we are actually recording this in our home studio. So, uh, we're not going to have those weird away sounds that we had in the... (laughs) the, uh, Hotel room in San Diego. The hotel room in San Diego and, and all that. But yeah, and if all goes according to plan, our next episode, which by the way, it's a topic that I can guarantee you no other podcast will ever think of well, doing. Don't spoil it. I'm not going to spoil it. I'm just going to, that's as far as I'm going to say. But assuming all goes according to plan, number one, that, and number two will also be in our home studio. So I'm really excited with, about with, that. If all goes well with a special guest. <gasps> a special guest. Dun, dun, dun. Ooh. Yeah. But anyway, uh, instead today don't we get, have Don't get excited. It's not like one of the Beach Boys or anything or like that. Or is it? No, it's not. But it's definitely special. Oh, very special indeed. <laughs> it might be one of the trade wins possibly. No, Ooh, no, no. No, okay. No. Let's not go there ever. Oh, come on now. But instead uh today we are recognizing See, we started this podcast a year too late because it would have been perfect to do the 20th anniversary, but instead we're doing the 21th anniversary. Hey, it's okay. It is. It's this still... memory is old enough to drink. Yeah, almost. yeah, that's that's true, at least in the States. Yeah, here. we're talking about the tribute to Brian Wilson, which uh, was produced by TNT. The, and, uh, TV cha- the, yeah, uh, the cable TV cable channel. Network. It was aired back in July of 2001, but we were fortunate enough to get tickets for the taping of it, which took place at Radio City Music Hall in New York City on uh, March 29th, 2001. And it was quite a night. It was. So even though we've done a podcast talking about um, other concerts we've been to, this merited its own completely separate podcast because there's a lot to talk about there's a lot to talk about and i think a lot of what i would like to talk about and uh, well I, i'd like us to talk about i should say and now our dog is doing something she rarely does she's playing with a squeaky toy yeah because she knows we're recording <laughs> and again that's what beagles do yep but uh, one thing i think we should refer to a bit is uh a couple of days after the recording of the TNT tribute, we were fortunate enough to be able to attend a private concert in a fan's living room performed by Jeffrey Foskett, who was in the Brian Wilson band, as many of you know back then, and he 
uh, had several stints with the Beach Boys touring band as well. We were given the okay to talk about this stuff long ago, like literally the day after it happened. So, so it's not like we're sharing any major secrets or anything. But uh, yeah, it was a really cool experience. We'll drop in stuff from there as appropriate. Jeff was kind of tired, so he mainly talked rather than performed. He did perform some songs, but he talked a lot and answered a lot of questions, especially about the TNT tribute because it was mm-hmm. only a couple of days old, so it was, everything was still fresh. Yeah, just some just some behind the scenes stories that were very interesting. But anyway, we scored tickets to be at the taping, filming, however you want to call it. Recording. Uh, recording. There you go. And it was on a weeknight, I think a Thursday night I believe, in yeah, New yeah. York. And it was kind of crazy for us because we chose to drive. And I don't remember why, because normally we took... The only reason I can think of is that we didn't know how long this was going to go. And yeah. we didn't want to have to worry about getting the last train back to the Jersey Shore because they do stop the trains at a certain time. And we didn't want to miss the last southbound train, because then we'd have to sit in Penn Station until about 5 a.m. Oh, man. (laughs) So I think we chose to drive, which is never a good idea when you're going to New York City. No. Because you might think, oh, going up to New York at evening rush hour, the flow of traffic is coming out of the city, so getting into the city won't be too bad. Eh, wrong. <laughs> it it doesn't help that New York is a series of islands and you have limited access yeah, to those so, islands. So it took us about 800 years to go through the circles of hell that are required to get into the, Hall- uh, the Lincoln Tunnel. And those who don't know, when you approach the Lincoln Tunnel, which is what you know, one of the few crossings uh, to get into Manhattan, you don't just drive down into the tunnel. You have to go on this circular roadway that kind of corkscrews you down gradually until you actually get to the tunnel. And then there's a huge backup because you got to pay a toll right there. Yeah, because you have to pay to get into New York, not to leave New York. Getting out of New York via the Lincoln Tunnel is a breeze. Yeah. You just zoom right out of there. Let's call it what it is. It's a leaving New Jersey tax because well, yeah. you got to pay the same thing going to Pennsylvania. <laughs> well, yeah, pretty much any crossing that I can think of that's on any like sort of interstate or yeah. expressway, you have to pay a toll. So we got into New York and we parked at a parking garage not far from Radio City, but we were like really running late and we were freaking out because we didn't want to get shut out and not be able to get in because we didn't know if they were going to be letting people in once the um, recording started. So we didn't even have time to have dinner. Right. Like we just hightailed it into Radio City. Fortunately, once we got inside, it was okay. There was still like a lot of people milling around in the gorgeous lobby of Radio City. Like if you've never been there, Google some pictures. It's amazing. It's funny that when we walk in, it's almost like everybody we've ever known was in that lobby. Like so many fan friends. Let me ask you something. Even though I've been to Manhattan many times, I'm still kind of dumb about where things are. Is Radio City Music Hall close to Times Square? 
um, close-ish. Radio City is at uh, 6th Avenue and 50th Street. And Times Square, kind of the center of Times Square, is at 42nd, where Broadway and 7th Avenue cross. So it's like a little bit over and a little bit up. I know what you're getting at the whole thing. If you stand in Times Square, you'll run into everybody. Yeah, I mean... Everybody you've ever known. It was kind of like that. I mean, we right away saw a bunch of fan friends that we knew. And we also saw some famous faces. Like, we saw Paul Schaefer and Jimmy Fallon... Yep. And I think Anna um, Gasteyer, too. Yeah, there were, there there were a were, lot of SNL people there. Were there were a number of SNL people there because they're like right across the street, practically. Paul Schaefer was just a short walk from the Ed Sullivan Theater. Yeah. And we ran into a couple people um, that we know who had just come from the, the ladies' room. And they're like, we just saw Tony Asher. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was just the funniest thing. Like, here we are, all freaking out, getting there late, no dinner. But yet, right away, everything was okay. Yeah. So we went in, took our seats. We were in the first mezzanine level, whatever they call it. We didn't have floor seats, but we definitely had great seats. Could see and hear everything just wonderfully. We were treated to, I think it was, what, four hours? At least three, possibly four. The special that aired was only two hours with commercials, so a lot of stuff was cut. Oh, yeah. But fortunately... Yeah, you don't have to be in the Beach Boys fan community too long to know that somebody will always have something. Yeah, I think it's on YouTube. A lot of it's on YouTube too. Well, this was 2001 when yeah. I mean we didn't have cell phone cameras yet because I don't think cell phones didn't have cameras at that time, or if they did, they were so. very low. Oh yeah, very low quality low. and low capacity. But at the time, camcorders were getting very small and probably easily concealed. Yeah. So probably about the, yeah, probably about 2001 or so was when audience recording kind of went into a new era of ease and Mm -hmm. better quality than in the past. So even though this was 21 years ago, so much of that night is very fresh in our minds. So we're just going to, we're not so much going to go in order of, Of events, we're just going to talk about the things we remember. Yeah. So, such as how I remember we were all told to wear black. Yeah. Just basically to de emphasize everybody except Brian. Yeah. Which is why, if you watch it, you'll notice that most, if not all, of his backup band, they're all wearing black. Yeah. The very first thing that happened, the announcer of the show, as you see in the TV special, announced the boys choir of harlem oh and i said they are so gonna do our prayer mark my words which they did which they did beautifully yeah (laughs) i mean that was just yeah so that kid that was a wonderful way to kick off the night and then that went straight into california girls featuring ricky martin he shook his bonbon he did i'll tell you i liked that i liked his performance yeah. i thought he did a good job yeah, a lot i really of people kind of poo-pooed it but yeah i thought it was a great and a lot of fun too and also i've i've gained a lot more respect for him over the years he's done a lot of great stuff um he's a big uh lgbtq advocate and um 
Annabella Vall, who is a features reporter for WGN here in Chicago. She grew up in Puerto Rico and was a huge Ricky Martin fan as a teen. And there's a wonderful time when she got to interview him and became just a complete wonderful fangirly mess. (laughs) Like she almost, I think she actually cried. (laughs) And then when she says, she's like, oh, my God, he's so cute. Like she didn't know her that he could still hear her. <laughs> she was so but, embarrassed. And he was so he was so lovely to her about the whole thing. I mean, it's just, you know, he got a kick out of seeing her go to complete pieces over him. So because yeah. he knew it came from a genuine place. So. Yeah, those of you who didn't like his performance, just shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and it's been 21 years. Get over it. And then I think after that was Paul Simon. Yes. Who... I, we were both really excited to see him, too, I Yeah, because we, we did see him and Garfunkel in concert a few years later, but this yeah. was the first time we had ever seen Paul Simon perform in person. And I remember he was wearing jeans and a yellow sweatshirt and a red baseball cap, and he seriously looked like a nine-year-old boy. <laughs> like, he's so tiny. But he did, uh, what song? Surfer Girl. Oh, okay. And he made it his own. Well, yeah. If you didn't know any better, you would swear Paul Simon wrote it the way he performed it. It was so cool. Well, that's the thing. Everybody who performed, like, nobody tried to do a carbon copy Mm. for the most part. I mean, or at least the performances I remember all seemed to be. I think most of them were actually. Oh, yeah. I I don't remember it that way. Which is but, pretty much what I expected to happen. But anyway, and, and by then, the way, spoiler: what you see on the DVD and the broadcast, uh, there was a lot of post-production audio that went into oh, that because yeah. oh, yeah. Paul was doing some pretty high notes. He did not do that <laughs> in the, live. <laughs> and just to fast forward to much later in the show, during the big um, finale, when lots of people are on stage singing together, doing kind of the traditional Beach Boys hoedown, like. I think it was during Fun, Fun, Fun. Billy Joel and Elton John, who I think are good friends in real life, they were dancing to like kind of like swing dancing together and doing a butt bump and all this and just having a total blast dancing to the Beach Boys music. And Paul Simon is standing next to them and just just be like with this look on his face, like, what the hell are you yeah, doing? They're trying to get him yeah, involved trying, too. And he's but, like, what the but heck yeah, is Paul this? Simon, I don't think Paul Simon dances ever <laughs> in his entire life. But just seeing the expression on his face was hysterical. Yep. The two of them are just having a blast and he was just like i don't know what to do here (laughs) yeah yeah the rumor that i heard is that paul simon was in the studio for two hours redoing his vocal for that i don't know if that's true it's just some hearsay or whatever i mean i don't know it could be true could be true i don't know i mean i would not be surprised to find out that he did i have a feeling he's quite a perfectionist well, you know, and I don't fault oh, anybody no, 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 of for course that. Not. I mean, no. hey, if you can, yeah. why not? I mean, you want to be happy with your performance. But for those of us in Radio City, I think he did a good job. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I was very happy with what he did. And let's see. Um, yeah, we have the DVD in front of us to uh, use as kind of a guide. Let's talk about Elton John. Like, okay. since I just brought up Elton yeah, why John. Not? So, Elton John came out first to perform what? 
The first thing he came out for was Wouldn't It Be Nice, I think. Okay. Because here's the thing. They did all of Pet Sounds from start to finish, which you do not see in the DVD, and it was cut out of the broadcast, too. You only get a couple of selections yeah, they, from Yeah, there it. were just selections. But in the show, they actually did Pet Sounds in order from start to finish. Yes. So he did Wouldn't It Be Nice, and then he came back out for God Only Knows, and that actually made it in the broadcast. So did Wouldn't It Be Nice. They were both in the broadcast. Uh, yeah, that yeah, is here. Yeah, here's the thing. Like, I know this is kind of a spoiling the big buildup, but they did pet sounds after Brian came out, after his big introduction. But I think the way they sequenced it for the broadcast yeah, they kind and the of DVD, mixed it up. yeah, they mixed it up a so, little bit. So Elton John comes out on stage and he's talking about God Only Knows and how amazing it is. I mean, you can see it in the DVD, but the thing that cracked us up. And I don't know if we noticed this at the time or I don't if, think we did. Or if we noticed when they we actually watched it on TV, but <laughs> like Brian is just sitting there looking at Elton while he's talking, but he kind of had this like resting bitch face. And it's like he was shooting lasers out of his well, eyes. Or, well, do, like, do, I do. must kill Elton John. <laughs> so yeah, watch that clip and see. And if- the harmonies he built up would blow your head off. Like, I'm going to blow your head <laughs> off, Elton John. <laughs> so it was just kind of funny. But um, I mean, Elton John was awesome. And Billy Joel, when he, you know, he was when he, fun, he was a lot of fun. He came out and talked about how he had toured with the Beach Boys. Like he had originally had success with Piano Man. He had this big rush of success in 1973 and then kind of nothing for a little while after that, because I think his career didn't really rev up to where he really started having a string of hits until probably about, I want to say like 1977 is when he really kicked into gear. So he had like a big moment and then kind of fell off. And for a while, um, he toured with the Beach Boys as one of their opening acts. And that was during the time that the Beach Boys had like a really kick-ass touring band, you know, around probably around 1974, 75. So he was talking about how his then teenage daughter, of course, like most teenage daughters, was completely unimpressed with anything (laughs) he ever did. But one thing that did get her attention is at the around, I don't remember, but there was a movie that used or maybe i don't know if it's never been kissed oh okay that used the song don't worry baby like alexa went crazy for it yeah and billy joel's like well you know i toured with the beach boys and he may have even performed that song with them or something which okay like she's like okay fine dad like i can i love the beach like it's in the dvd and in the broadcast so he performed don't worry baby in honor of his daughter which was it was a very sweet story so he was he was a great deal of fun. Yeah. Another thing I want to mention, since this is not on the DVD, well, in the DVD, you can see when they perform Good Vibrations, there was a young man who was a baritone, an operatic baritone yes. named Jubilant Sykes, who totally killed oh. the bass vocal on Good Vibrations. And had a great time doing it, too. But one thing that didn't make it to the DVD was what he sang as part of Pet Sounds. He did That's Not Me, which was amazing. 
Yeah, he did. It wasn't the same arrangement. It was a special arrangement. It was kind of like a modern jazz arrangement, mm-hmm. and it was just fantastic. Yeah. So I'm gl- I'm kind of glad we do have some of a somewhat of a recording of that. <laughs> yeah, and I I don't think he ever formally recorded it, which yeah. is a shame. And this is something that was really disappointing because at the Jeff Foskett party that I was talking about earlier, Jeff repeatedly said the whole performance was going to be on the DVD. And anytime somebody asked, well, is this going to be on the DVD? Is that buy the DVD. It's going to be on the DVD. Well, at the time, yeah. that may have been the plan, and he may not have known. Like, they, they, that may be what yeah. he had been told, but things change. Yeah, and I think I heard a story about how somebody involved, I think somebody at Image Entertainment was talking to Jeff later on and said, you're probably going to be disappointed with the DVD. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it is kind of disappointing in that, like, Everything that was supposed to be on there is not on there. Just a couple of extra thingies from the show, but you don't have all the Pet Sounds performance, which is a crying shame. Yeah. One thing that is not surprising that it's not on the DVD is... Uh, oh, I think I know where you're going. I don't know if you do, but... Uh, <laughs> so the host of the whole evening is the actor Chaz Palmateri. I never heard of him until this. I think I had happened. heard of him, but we're not movie people. Yeah, exactly. I so, mean, I heard of him maybe once or twice afterwards, I mean, but that was it. Yeah, I was a devout reader of Entertainment Weekly, so I knew I had seen his name many times, but we weren't familiar with any of his work. But he's from New York and a big fan of Beach Boys music, so he definitely, he wasn't just reading off cue cards. Like, he definitely oh, was having know, a fun there's time. There's a very and, clear piece of evidence that he and, wasn't reading off a cue card. We'll get to and, that. Uh, and he's, like, during some times when they had to do little production things, and he had to just kind of kill time for a few yeah, minutes. Like, you could, he, like, a voice came over the PA. No, no, it wasn't a voice. He said, oh, they're telling me I have to stall. <laughs> so he'd say, Who's here from the Bronx? Who's here from New Jersey? I mean, it was just hearing hearing things like that in that voice was just, that cracked me up. <laughs> Who um, here's from the Bronx? <laughs> well, let's talk about Surf's Up. Yes, Because he, he introed Surf's Up. And now, we didn't know he was introing Surf's well, Up. Well, yeah, like, like, would, let's establish ahead, yeah. a couple things. First of all, you know, usually when you hear a tribute to somebody... The somebody is not there because usually it's done after they've died or something. But Brian was most definitely alive and he was there and did perform, but not until later in the program. Yeah. So Chaz Palminteri starts talking about the song that was to be the centerpiece of Smile. And it's as beautiful today. <laughs> and we're thinking he's going to talk about heroes and villains. Like yeah. he, we thought he was talking about heroes and villains, which up to that point, we had never seen Brian or his band perform in concert. And Brian went so far, or at least somebody speaking on his behalf on his uh, website, went so far as to say, yeah, that's not going to happen. So it turns out he was talking about Surf's Up. Yeah. It was performed by Brian's band with Vince Gill on the first part, first movement, if you want to call it. Then Jimmy Webb in the middle. And he was playing a grand piano. And then David Crosby at the end. Yeah. Yeah, he and, and, he and Jimmy Webb were kind of trading off at the end. So Vince Gill, even you can tell on the DVD, 
he was a little bit nervous because his you could hear like some extra like fluttering in his voice. And Jeff Foskett told us later that Vince Gill had said, yeah, I'll do surfs up without knowing how difficult it is well, to say. The thing is, I think one of the bonus features on the DVD, I think, I don't see it, see the bonus features, lift, just, the, just uh, do it again. But there are some interviews on the DVD, and I think Vince Gill is one of them, and he said he thought, he didn't know Surf's Up. He saw that title, and he thought, oh, it's one of their early surf songs. Yeah, he thought it would just be this like fun song Like a Surfing USA same. kind of, he's like, piece of cake. Now, I mean, granted, Vince <laughs> Gill has a beautiful falsetto. Oh, yeah. He definitely could do Surf's Up, but... That's a hard song for any man to sing, no matter what your falsetto or your range is. Like, that's a big ask. Yeah, and, and I just remember when the guest list was announced, people are, oh, great. Oh, there's going to be a country sound on the Beach Boys. No, yeah. there was nothing. No. And in fact, in you know, discussions in the various fan forums. I mean, Vince Gill gained some fans. Yeah, well, yeah. And the thing is, like Jeff Foskett said that, after he sang Surf's Up, either that or after the show, he went up to Vince Gill and said, don't be surprised if you suddenly see a huge spike <laughs> in sales yeah. of your records yeah. after this airs. He just did it beautifully. And then Jimmy Webb, I mean, he he took the second part and he actually, there's a little flub in his performance. I mean, I think he was, he was a little nervous too. They like all this were, is I'm sure. This is heavy literature. But... He still did great. It's just, and I mean, actually, a little bit of apprehension that's kind of endearing, I think, that it's like, you're taking this very, very, very seriously. Yeah. But what really got me is David Crosby standing to the side of the piano with one hand resting on it, waiting his turn, and he steps up. There was just such reverence, and he sang the last part. It's almost heartbreaking how beautiful his voice is. So the three of them with Jeff Foskett, I heard the word wonderful thing, a children's song, that harmony. Oh, my God. So they come to the end and you can see you can they, they capture this on the DVD. They come to the end of the song. They end the song cleanly singing the child and there's actual hang time. <laughs> I mean, normally in a performance that is so amazing, people start to applaud even before the last note. This It's almost like we all had to be brought back to life. And I mean, people leapt to their feet and mm -hmm. cheered. Yep. I mean, that was just stunning. Absolutely stunning. And probably the first time Surf's Up had been performed in a venue like that in a long decades. time. And from what we heard, Brian down in the green room was very moved during, yeah. you know, by that performance. I mean, because again, it was done with reverence. I remember that you told me that the entire time they were doing that song, I sat there frozen with my mouth hanging open. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then a nice little tidbit from Jeff is that. In the rehearsals for the whole thing, David Crosby was one of the first people to show up. Yeah, he said either Cros was either the only or one of only two people who showed up on time for every rehearsal. 
And he said, I talked to David about that. I said, I'm surprised that of all people, you (laughs) are continuously early. And he said, well, the thing is, in my life, I let people down a lot. And I have to stop doing that. I really turn my life around and and be there for people, be more reliable. Well, that's like the documentary about him that came out uh, like, what, about a year or two ago? That kind of came through in that, too, that he has a lot of regrets of the way he acted, the way he treated people way back when, that he really took a fantastic opportunity, his place in rock music, and basically threw it in people's faces. And he's still kind of repenting for that, I Mm -hmm. think, to this day. Yeah. Uh, For all he's been through and all of the health issues he's had, man, that voice was just... Because I think this was... Was this before or after he had the liver transplant? Oh, this was long after. Okay. So he had the liver transplant back in the the mid-90s, I think. And when you kind of look at the whole like rock and roll survivor thing, in the special, there's different um, segments with... uh, different people who are narrating little film montages about different parts of Brian's life and career. And the part about Brian being at his most troubled was done by Dennis Hopper. Yep. And he comes out on stage and he's like, why do they have me doing this part, man? (laughs) I think that's on the DVD, but I don't think it was in the broadcast. I might be wrong about that. Yeah. So you think like, you know, here's Brian, David Crosby and Dennis Hopper backstage and they all just like, man, I know, man. You know, it's like people who are from that era have a way of saying, man. I'm sure that that was the entire conversation between Cros and Dennis Hopper, man, (laughs) man, that was the entire conversation. And they said a lot more than we'll ever know. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Another person who spoke to narrate a film segment was Sir George Martin. Oh, Oh, my good Lord. I mean, when he walked out, the audience, I mean, we just levitated. I don't think we actually used our muscles and abilities to stand up. I think we all just rose. Yeah, what you see on the broadcast and on the DVD, they cut out a long piece of ovation oh for my god him. i mean people were screaming he has this look on his face like me <laughs> and that's that's why he said well after because seriously that was a really long on, ovation it went on and on like the sea only brian got a longer ovation that because night. this is sir george martin <laughs> that's the man he's there <laughs> You can see this on the DVD that he talks about the connection between Brian and the Beatles and how it's it's not fair that <laughs> Brian could write and produce and perform and do the things that it took the four Beatles and George Martin to create. Brian could do it all himself if he wanted to. And that was our second time seeing Sir George talk, too. And it was... Yeah, we are very blessed that we had that opportunity. Oh, my goodness. Yes. That was really something. We got to see him again. Although I didn't like that he had to wear a tie. That kind of 
creep me out. I I have this hang up about ties. Like somebody approaches me and they're wearing a tie, I get really yeah, but nervous. He's from the era that that's what you did when you're going in front of an audience and you're going to be on television yeah, and but all when that. When we saw him in '99, okay. he was wearing a turtleneck and he looked really hip. Yeah, and everything. because that was just a theater. Well, then again, it was Red Bank where you're supposed to look like a hipster. Yeah. So so let's get to the part when Brian shows up. Oh my God! Yeah. So Brian comes out on stage. And he sits down and he says, here you go with heroes and villains. I've been in this town. So he's, and- he's doing it. And it didn't really cross my mind. I'm th- I, all I could think at the time was, that's an unusual song to kick off a set with. <laughs> I never thought anything of it. It took a little bit. It took like a, a stanza or two before it finally hit me. Oh, my God, they're doing heroes and villains. Sean was wearing a black cashmere sweater, long sleeve sweater. And the way I like to describe it is you think like a cartoon. Like a Tex Avery kind of thing. Where I just take a hold of his sleeve and just rip it straight off. Because <laughs> that's really how I felt. Yeah, I screamed like a little girl when, I, when it finally occurred to me that they were doing heroes and f***ing villains. And the thing about it is that by that time, we had seen Brian in concert several times. And... He still was obviously working through some issues of probably stage fright, stage presence. He often had kind of a deer in the headlights look. He wasn't relaxed. And he did make mistakes. Like he did miss words and sometimes was off key. And I mean, nothing that made the performance terrible. But there were, if you knew the material very well, you would notice there are some things that were off. But... Man, that performance of Heroes and Villains was spot on. It was. Every word perfect, every note perfect. And at the end, or near the end, I mean, he's looking straight in the camera going, na, 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 uh, na, yep. na. I mean, it's like, oh my God. <laughs> what you saw on the DVD is exactly what went down. There was nothing, there was no sweetening done to that no. or anything. It it was like, oh my, I mean, it was everything. It was worth everything. It yeah. was worth the price of the ticket and the hassle to get there just to be in the room where that happened. <laughs> and not only that, here they are doing something that certainly required some body bags to, <laughs> for when people were ready to leave. But how they ended it. Oh my God. That's oh. another thing, how they they, they did that little, uh, that was my part, by the way, when we yeah. did Heroes yeah. and Villains in Old Town School Folk Music Beach Boys Ensemble. But Yeah, they actually, they, yeah, they. I'm, and I'm thinking, oh my God. And then I'm like, okay, what next? What else are they going to pull from here? And then it's like, oh, that's it. That's the end. <laughs> Shoot. Yeah, we're okay. like, oh, okay, are they just going to start going in and playing all of Smile? But no. That, <laughs> that would have been a hell of a time to introduce Smile that, from start to finish. That was still a little bit of time away. <laughs> but we we found out, and I don't remember if this was something Jeff told us or if we found out from elsewhere, but evidently there was a New Year's party. Yeah, that I think was in the Beautiful Dreamer documentary, oh, okay. actually, when... Uh, Scott Bennett had a New Year's Eve party at his apartment. And um, of course, being a keyboard player, he had at least one keyboard around. And Brian has this habit of if there is a piano or some other kind of keyboard instrument, he's going over there and just going to futz around with it because that's what he does. 
knowing that that's what Brian tends to do, he just came right out and said, hey, Brian, if you want to sit at the piano and just tinkle, t- uh, tickle the ivories, tickle the ivories, <laughs> yeah, you certainly go, go ahead, go, go do that. So he certainly went over there, sat down, was just playing around a bit. And somebody came over to him and said, hey, Brian, can you do Heroes and Villains? And he said, really? You want to hear that? Well, all right. And he, in this town. and he did it. And suddenly, like, everybody in the room runs over and, oh, my God, he's singing Heroes and Villains. And Melinda said, hey, Brian, maybe you should do this at the TNT tribute. And he's like, okay. Which I think also was kind of the spark that led to him finishing Smile. Yeah. So, yeah. And it probably, I'm sure hearing the audience's ovation and reaction to that probably helped too. <laughs> and seriously, I think that's also part of why his performance was so straightforward. He wasn't deer in the headlights. There was still a little bit of Brian about it, but not the awkward Brian, the nervous Brian. And I think it might have been just watching all these people get up and do his songs and say wonderful things about him and hearing the audience response to it. He feeds off of that. Uh-huh. Yeah, he has a very fragile ego, and he needs to hear that love for well, really, his own for his own security. And I mean, that's part of the reason why, from what I understand, Melinda wanted him to get out on in front of audiences to begin with, so that he could have that direct feedback. Yeah, that he could hear people stand up and cheer and do an endless round of applause for God only knows and everything else. And I love hearing male voices saying, we love you, Brian. I mean, but I think Brian needed that. Brian needed to know how much this music means to people and especially having this audience that was a mix of regular Joes and celebrities and probably a lot of industry people and all kinds of VIPs, like that probably did a lot for him to just justify all of this and basically say, I mean, this is not inappropriate music, Brian. You were right to do this stuff to begin with. So let's share the the carny moment. (laughs) Oh, yeah, the carny moment. Yeah, this is one of the things that did not end up on the DVD was that Wendy and Carney. I don't think China Phillips was in on this particular song. I think it was just Wendy and Carney. Chaz Palminteri introduces Brian's daughters, Wendy and Carney Phillips, <laughs> to come out to sing You Still Believe in Me. And he leaves the stage and everybody, you could see that there are question marks over everybody's <laughs> heads in the audience. There's this awkward applause. They're like, should we? Be? And you can see the moment that he realizes he screwed up. He's like, ah! And he runs back to the microphone. I'm so sorry! And they're both laughing. at, Oh, it happens all the time. You know, I should be Wendy Phillips, and this is my sister, Carney Phillips. And Carney <laughs> said, oh, f*** it, who cares? And then Wendy said, oh, good one, sis. And Carney said, oh, my God, I hope Dad didn't hear that. <laughs> and and w- Wendy, Wendy said, oh, he's used to it by now. <laughs> And again, I wish this was on the DVD because when he redid his intro and said, Wendy and Connie Wilson, he got a huge applause. Over that. <laughs> and then, uh, oh, what was what song was it? Because David Crosby did another song yes. by himself. He what did was Sloop that? John B. He did. Two, and, he had to do two or three takes of that. And, I th- I, some people said he did three. I only remember two takes. But I know when he knew he had to do it again, because uh, I think he 
Was he came in in the wrong place well, or here's something? here's what it is. Like, when it came to the chorus, instead of saying, uh, hoist up the John B. He went straight to, like, I want to go home. See how the main sales? He skipped the line. And after that take was over, everybody knew they had to but, redo but it. I love and he, he, he explained that basically the prompter was going too fast. Yeah. And he totally but missed. But he also said, hey, I only got one brain cell left. Yeah, he said, you guys, <laughs> come on. You know who I am. I only have 18 brain cells left. So yeah. yeah, he did he did at least two. I only remember two takes. Some people say he did three. I remember when Mann and Penn took the stage. Amy Mann and Michael Penn. I had never heard of them until that night, to be quite honest. I had heard I, of Michael Penn. And I know a lot of my music buff friends right now listening to this, assuming they're listening to this, are shaking their heads in shame over that. Yeah, Michael Penn had... I know he had a song out like in the late 90s that I really liked. But I don't remember what it's called. <laughs> yeah, they. I think they woke up on the wrong side of the bed that day because they were kind of crabby that night. They were complaining about everything. <laughs> yeah, they were like the only act that seemed to be kind of diva-y yeah. um, compared to the others. And here's something that I got to mention here is that uh, on the broadcast, but I don't think on the DVD, Michael Penn has a vocal flub. He says playple instead of people. I don't remember him doing that in the... Uh, in the that must have mm. been an outtake from a overdub session mm. or something. The DVD, I think he sings it correctly, yeah. and in the audience recording I saw, he sang it correctly. Same thing with Vince Gill and Surfs Up. If you watch the broadcast, if you have a recording of that or the DVD, he screws up the first verse of Surfs Up. He's like, he sang it perfectly that night, and the audience recording proves that he sang it perfectly that night. So but I don't perhaps, know where that well, screw-up came well, from. Well, perhaps it could be that he may have done it fine, but something may have messed up with actually picking it up. Maybe there was a malfunction with well, his microphone. Well, no, his microphone was fine. His or, voice was loud or, and clear. Okay. It's, it was a but I mean, like, performance, like in period. The con- but I mean, like, in the control room, maybe... It didn't pick up, and they had to use like an alternate take that was subpar. But that was all that, they had. Oh, okay, I see what you're you know saying. What I mean, okay, like yeah, the, yeah. like yeah. I mean, he may have sounded fine in the theater, but what was being recorded in the control room may have been faulty. Oh, okay, yeah, and they might have used. Okay, they I see what you're saying. They may have used the only backup that they had. That that could have like been the it. rehearsal backup, which even if it was subpar, at least it was a clear recording. Sure. And another thing that was a lot of fun was Matthew Sweet and Darius Rucker, better known as Hootie, (laughs) doing Sail on Sailor. That was so cool. That's in the DVD. And that actually, around the time of- Oh, actually, no, they didn't do Sail on Sailor together. Darius did it by himself. It was when they were on either The Tonight Show or The Late Show. It's listed on the DVD as the two of them. So I think they did do- Oh, yeah. Okay, I guess maybe they they did. Yeah, they Hmm, were on the late show around the time of that filming, and they performed it there. Yeah. So there's another version of of them with, like, I think they had just some of the members of Brian's band. Yeah, Jeff was there because I remember when they came back from a commercial. In fact, it it, it was the late show for sure. Because the CBS orchestra was performing the song Magnet and Steel, and Matthew Sweet and Jeff were joining them singing it. So I remember I remember that pretty well. You know oh. what it was? It was Matthew Sweet by himself. He did I'm Waiting for the Day, which of course didn't make the broadcast or the DVD. And after he sang that, 
he said, I love you, Brian. Thank you for showing me what a song can mean. I think that's what he said. And good vibrations. Yeah. Which was introduced by George Martin. Which we talked about. Thank you very much. We didn't talk about good vibrations. Yes, we did. No, we just talked about Jubilant Sykes. Sykes. You're right. So we had Jubilant Sykes and Anne and Nancy Wilson from Heart and the Boys Choir of Harlem. And it's like. What did I say when they came out? They're going to do the Humby Does. And they did. Yes, they did. (laughs) I don't know much about them. Are they always that predictable? I don't, well, I don't know, but I mean, they are pretty awesome. Oh God. Yes. Oh yes. But the thing is, when you think about it, that's another hint of smile because the Humby does, that is not in the released, like the version of good vibrations that everybody knows. That is a smile thing. So that was kind of another little, hmm. Yeah, a little fun fact for you. I See if anybody can come up with an earlier occurrence of this, but that part, which I later found out from better quality tapes, they're not singing Humby Da, but Humby Dum. The earliest public appearance of that that I know of was 1978 in Perth, mm. when Carl was stoned on heroin. <laughs> And um, Brian basically came out of nowhere during the extended good vibration story going, (laughs) oh, please let him have been banging a tambourine at the same time (laughs) and wearing a really loud Hawaiian shirt. Oh, man. I'm pretty sure he would have been I just have, have this image in my head that I don't think I will ever get rid of. And then after that, there was an alternate Humby Dum section from a totally different thing included on the good vibrations on the 1983 rarities album Ooh, so there's there's your little <laughs> humby dum timeline right there and if anybody knows of any other occurrences of humby dum besides that and the smile sessions hey listen to our <laughs> ending and you'll hear all of our methods of contact yeah it's too late and i can't remember them all uh, right now so. so what else is there Oh, man. Well, um, I can tell you this much. Uh, Aside from what we already talked about with the Pet Sounds uh, run through, Anne and Nancy Wilson did Don't Talk, Put Your Head on My Shoulder, which is not on the DVD. I already talked about I'm Waiting for the Day. Uh, The band did Let's Go Away for a while, and I think the Radio City Orchestra was there for the strings. I don't remember, because I don't know if there would be room for them. Like I, they I have don't a know. huge stage. Or I would don't have been know. Room. Or they, might, do- they might have been in an orchestra pit. I don't remember. Um, let's see. We talked about Sloop John B. Wouldn't it be nice? Uh, God only knows. I know there's an answer that was definitely Darius Rucker. Yeah, he did that solo. That and was a good one. That was that he knocked that out of the park. That was beautiful. And um, oh, what comes after my favorite album of all time? And I can't freaking remember. I the just order. wasn't made for these times. I just wasn't made for these. Um, Who before did that? that uh, I just wasn't made for these times. It was Pan and Men. <laughs> Ma- Man and Pen. <laughs> Spoonerism there. Uh, before that, here today, that was Jimmy Webb. Yes. And uh, I remember during the instrumental part, he was running across the stage and playing different instruments and kind of <laughs> going back and forth. Just because he could. Just because he could. <laughs> and who did Caroline know? That was just Brian and the band. Okay. But they had Banana and I'm Louie at the sure end. I'm pretty sure they did. I is seem that, to remember is they Is that did. when Brian said, uh, Banana Louie, my dogs, no, they died? No. Was it? No, that was it. Oh, that no, was, the, that was oh in I a, know. I know. He. That was in a magazine interview or something. Okay. Okay. Yeah, they were my dogs. They died. <laughs> 
but yeah, I hope so, or else you have like 35-year-old dogs there, Brian. Well, he did say, because didn't when Brian came out on stage, didn't he say that the show was dedicated to... My brother's Dennis and Carl, who died. Yeah, that's why I was yeah, And speaking that. of which, this is something that Jeff said at the party we were at. During rehearsals, uh, they, d- they also did Lay Down Burden, which I thought was on the DVD, but I don't see it listed here. It might be an unlisted bonus track. I thought it was on here. But they did lay down burden, and I'm pretty sure that Brian said it was in honor of Carl. And not only that, but at that point, Justin Wilson came out with with a guitar, with a Fender, to join him for lay down burden and do it again, I think, which Mm -hmm. is on the DVD. And Justin Wilson looks a lot like his father. (laughs) With much longer hair. And this is what we didn't know, is that Justin was playing one of Carl's guitars Mm. at the time. Oh, man. And Jeff said that during rehearsals, he saw Justin with Carl's guitar, and they were about to rehearse a song that Brian said was uh, about Carl. Of course, that's very questionable, given from (laughs) various things we've heard. And Jeff said that knowing that and looking at Justin and seeing that he's playing one of Carl's guitars, he couldn't handle it. He had to yeah. leave the room to go break down and cry. Oh and he, didn't want, he didn't want Brian to see him crying over Carl. Yeah. And because this was only, only what, three years after Carl died? Yeah. I mean, it's, Barely three years it still later. feels too soon. And it's been yeah. 23 years. 24, 24 years. 24 Good years. Lord. Yeah. That still hurts. Yeah. So they had the, when they, the show came around to the end, they had the big traditional, like I said, Beach Boys hoedown with Carney and Wendy on stage with Brian. Yeah. And and you can, and at the very end, you can see Carney wiping away tears. And- well, it's just, I mean, something I always love about Carney is that she can flicker from one emotion to another in the drop of a hat. Like she can be laughing hysterically and then sobbing at the next moment. Like that comes from, I think the Brian in her. (laughs) And something that you don't see on the DVD or in the broadcast, uh, you see Brian's little girls at the time, Daria and Delaney walk out on stage with flowers. Yeah. And eventually at one point, one of them lifted her dress (laughs) And the audience just went hysterical over that. You can hear a tiny, tiny fraction of that right before it goes to black on the DVD. Because anybody who's been a little girl or who has little daughters. I am not one of those people. (laughs) I mean, I remember this myself being a little girl that little girls love wearing dresses where they can spin around. And when you're little and you're wearing little tights and everything, Yeah, you think nothing of just lifting up your skirt. Like, you're not trying to be inappropriate or obscene. It's just what you do. (laughs) And it's just, yeah, I mean, the audience's reaction is probably just an acknowledgement of that. Like, this is what little girls do. (laughs) But, I mean, that show was just, I mean, we were were completely drained and spent and... I remember after the show, we ran over to a deli and snarfed down a sandwich really well, I know, quickly. Well, I know that, I mean, in those who don't know New York City, I mean, yeah, New York City is truly the city that never sleeps. You can oh, yeah. always find a place that's open to get a bite to eat, no matter what the hour of day, holiday, whatever, even during a blizzard. I mean, you can always find a place to eat. And as there, much as I don't like New York, that I do admire about and it. And there are places that have 
I mean, it might be like where there's a counter where you can get hot food or you can have a sandwich made. But there's also, I mean, this might even be where salad bars started, you know, hmm, just like a self-serve. I, I don't know, but I just know with just the way New York is that, you know, like a little self-serve area where you can get a salad or make up your own plate. And uh, I knew there was a place not far from there, because back just a few years earlier, I had done an internship at NBC. So I learned a lot about what was in that area and where you could go to get food and things like that. So yeah, I knew that not far from where we parked, there was such a place that would be open. So yeah, we basically got sustenance. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what we ate. Neither I don't do think I. it mattered. <laughs> I mean, it could have been clawcolosh and crab juice. <laughs> I don't know. I don't care. But we needed some sustenance. And we also needed to kind of decompress and debrief before we yeah. got back on the road to come home. <laughs> yeah, we went home and I had to go to work the next day. You were lucky enough to work somewhere where you could work at home if you want in one of those places where we don't care when you work, just get your work done. Yeah. My, I had to be at a place by 9 a.m., so I had to go to bed, and I seem to remember your computer was in our bedroom. Yeah. And here I am trying to sleep, and you still have the light on, and you're frantically typing away on the Usenet well, groups. That, well, that's kind of... And then they did this, and then they did that. Well, and then they did <laughs> well, that was my habit. I mean, I had brought a notepad with me to take notes of the set list, because I wanted to report out how this went. I knew a lot of people were interested in it, and you know, I was lucky enough to be there. But I had done that before at various concerts and things, just like taking notes and I mean, I wrote a lot of, and then, and then, and then, and I'm sure my cup runneth over was part of what I wrote. But yeah, I, I was so jazzed. I had to stay up. And we we did this other times. I remember when we went to the, uh, I think when we went to the Smile Show. No, it wouldn't have been that because we were staying at the Hyatt. But I know there was a show we went to. Yeah, was there a show we went to when we were staying at your parents' house? There was the uh, show at the House of Blues in 2002. That's what it was. Okay. Because okay, that was in the summer. So yeah, I remember being in your old bedroom at your parents' house. We had gone to Steak and Shake afterwards. Oh man, I don't even remember so, that. So yeah, I remember like picking up sustenance and <laughs> and reporting out on the uh, on the show. Just because that's, that's part of the fun, just sharing the excitement with people who weren't there, people who oh, couldn't yeah. be there. And it's, people who were there. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> definitely people who were there. It's like, hey, you know, people could chime in and say, oh, yeah, and I like things that I may have missed, they could, or just whatever their perspectives were. That's part of the fun. <laughs> but yeah, that was, that was quite a night, and we were very fortunate to be there. Oh, my God, yeah. Some other things that we learned that uh, Jeff had said he talked about how there were some other songs that they were going to perform, but they had to kill because of time. It's not anywhere. They might have rehearsed them, but that's it. One of them was Forever, mm. which doesn't oh. surprise me at all because they did Forever on tour that year when they mm -hmm. hooked up with Paul Simon. Mm -hmm. And he said they also did She Knows Me Too Well in oh. the original key. Whoa. I feel terrible for saying this, but when I actually did hear Brian and the band perform this in the original key, 
I have an idea as to why they dropped it, and it yeah. wasn't for times because yeah, dude, Brian couldn't reach those notes. <laughs> wasn't Friends another one? I don't think so. Oh, okay. I don't think so. Well, then again, now that I think about it, I don't think Brian actually did sing it. She knows me too well when they when they did it on tour. Eventually, I think Jeff did. Well, or Jeff doubled. It might have been a like, but yeah, you know, just like with other songs, like Brian would sing what he was comfortable singing, and then Jeff would just take the higher parts. Yeah. Yeah, and Jeff also told a story that at first he was hesitant to tell, but then he said, you know what, they don't see any harm in telling this. He said that during rehearsals, when David Crosby was practicing his narration part, when he had to say, and Brian did this with his cousin Mike Love, he interrupted himself and said, do I have to say his name? I don't like him. (laughs) (laughs) And so the compromise was he would agree to say his cousin Mike. I mean, again, like, yeah, back then I was laughing my ass off because I was very anti-Mike Love back then. I have, I mentioned this in previous episodes, I have very softened my (laughs) stance on Mike. I'm much more... For what it's worth, maybe David Crosby has too. (laughs) Yeah. No, he hasn't. Oh, okay. Judging from his tweets, no, he has not. But yeah, I'm much more balanced about Mike these days. Oh, man. My apologies to Mike Love if he's listening. I don't mean any offense. I'm just then again he probably knows anyway but yeah that was that was just crazy hearing about how david crosby of all people was the one person who was on time every single time yeah something i don't know what to make of is jeff was talking about how except for i think ricky martin and somebody else he said that everybody who participated specifically asked to participate he said none of them were invited Mm. But if you watch the interview clips on the DVD, they tell a different story because hmm. they all say, well, when they asked if I would join, well, if, when I was invited to perform on this, well, hmm. when I, <laughs> including David Crosby. In fact, David Crosby said, when I was invited to perform, I had to think about it for a while because I have this thing with my daughter. It's really special to me. I drive her to school every day and I really don't want to miss that. And, <laughs> but then I thought, well, I owe this to Brian. And, <laughs> So I I don't know. I don't know. The the truth is somewhere in the middle. Or maybe it's like, do you know how hard it is to sing Beach Boys songs? Yeah. And speaking of which, I don't remember if it was Jeff who said this or if it was uh, David Crosby or Jimmy Webb, but the re- you remember the reason that Vince Gill had to sing what he had to sing in Surf's Up? No. Because he was always late to rehearsals, <laughs> and David Crosby and Jimmy Webb picked out their parts first, and basically- they're like, yeah, we're not touching the hat. So yeah, because David Crosby may have been able to pull off Vince's part. He may have been able to hit that high note. He, he might have been because he always sang. If I'm not mistaken, he always sang falsetto with the birds. Yeah, the like birds. he was always hitting the high notes Did you say on the, bird. the birds. <laughs> I'm a fourth generation Chicago, and I probably did say the birds. The birds. And uh, what else? Oh, I know there's more. Oh, I know something else. One of the things that Jeff talked about at the party that we went to, when Brian started touring, people had noticed that it sounds like when whenever Brian and the band did Do It Again, the last verse, people said, they're actually singing Sue It Again. It's a commentary on all the lawsuits and Mike Love and this and all this. Back together and Sue It Again. And I'm thinking, dude, No. Because Brian's band loves slipping in things that appeal to diehard fans. Mm -hmm. My thought was that like some of the singers were singing Do It Again 
other singers were singing Surfs again, as per that alternate take that's on the Endless where Harmony Dennis, soundtrack. Where Dennis, didn't Dennis no. sing? I no. thought it was something where no. Dennis, they were no, singing Do, and Dennis said Surf. No, and, oh, no, okay. no, it, the lyric was, let's get together and surf again. Okay. That's what I had thought. And somebody asked that to Jeff during the party when he was taking questions. Somebody said, hey, Jeff, is it true that some of the band members are singing Sue It Again during Do It Again, and it's a commentary on all the lawsuits flying back and forth? And Jeff kind of rolled his eyes, and he said, no. (laughs) Some of us are singing Do It Again. Some of us are singing Surf Again. And we have definitive proof in this DVD that I'm holding in my left (laughs) hand here. One of the bonuses on the DVD is Do It Again from the Tribute. If you listen to the isolated 5.1 channels, one of the channels has Jeff's vocal isolated. Mm. And sure enough, when it gets to that part, he's singing, Surf Again! Hmm. In harmony with Brian. And everybody else is singing, Do It Again! At that party... There were a couple things and I don't I don't want I don't want us to go into that cuz that'll be like another hour but like there were a couple things that Jeff shut people down on and it was pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, like he shared a lot of insight as to what happens in the background with uh, BRI and how they work and why yeah. why Mike which uses was, the name Beach Boys. Which and, was really good. Yeah. It, was, it was good stuff for us to hear, not necessarily things that the fans are privy to, yeah. but you know, it had been such a big topic of discussion. It was good to get a little clarification from somebody who's in the inner circle, just yeah. so we could have just a better understanding of what goes on. Because, of course, fans have their own perspective and often their own perception, which may not necessarily be true, but there are fans who believe that what they see is the truth, yeah. and they don't want to hear anything separate. So it was good to hear Jeff kind of clarifies some things. And even after that, people were still like, yeah, well, I yeah, still uh, think it's this. It's like, yeah, well, there, come are, on. there are people who are just always going to believe yeah, what they believe. Exactly. And you'll find that in any fan community. And while we're talking about this party, I should clarify something. In episode five, the previous episode, we talked about a Jeff party that we went to. That was actually another one yeah, that happened years two later. years later. Yeah. And uh, same house, same situation. You know, a few people were invited. And when people sent their regrets, a few more people were invited, etc. But so, yeah, it was two separate parties that we were lucky enough to have been able to, yeah. to attend. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we found out some interesting stuff on both of those. But yeah, there was a lot of really cool insight about the TNT tribute uh, at the first one. Oh, another fun fact, by the way, those of you who have the DVD but did not see the broadcast, there was something different about the broadcast. The broadcast included Surf in USA. The DVD does not have it. Mm. I think the either fun 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 or barbara ann was missing from the broadcast mm. in place of surfing usa well i doubt it would be fun 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 because that's oh, yeah yeah that's, that's true. the closer that is always that has been the if you're gonna have any kind of beach boys show you gotta end with fun 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 well or at least in brian's world before love and mercy which is always the very last yeah kind of the the little coda which yeah. also featured the boys' choir of Harlem in yeah. stunning beautifulness. Yeah, and and this is interesting. The Brian Wilson band at this tribute 
there was Scott Bennett, Mike D'Amico, Jeff Foskett, Proben Gregory, Jim Hines, Bob Lizick, Paul Mertens, Taylor Mills, Darian Sahanaja, Nick Walusko, who's not listed in the credits, Andy Paley. Mm. At one point during the night, Brian introduced Andy Paley. He said, I just want to bring up a friend of mine here. We go way back. We wrote a lot of songs together. We drank a lot of beers together. <laughs> and uh, so at that point, Andy Paley actually became part of the band for a couple of years. Yeah. Or at least just for that one year, I think, now that I think about it. And I'm pretty sure we mentioned this before, but the reason that Andy Paley was on the tour in 2001 and Mike D'Amico was not, was that Wonderments were recording a new album. Mm. And Mike stayed back to because he had three songs on that album and he was... Re- Apparently, he was really stressing out over it, and he wanted to make sure it got done. Yeah. So that's why he wasn't on that tour. And I remember back when this TNT tribute aired, people were up in arms. Why is D'Amico not on camera at all? And now he's not on the tour anymore. He was clearly fired, and they just want to cut him (laughs) out. No. No, no. No, the... (laughs) This was about Brian. That's why everybody was told to wear black so they could be Mm de-emphasized. But yeah, no, no, there's nothing shady going on there. Especially because during that tour, I overheard Darian tell someone that, yeah, Mike will be back next year. And he was. But yeah, fans got to calm the hell down. (laughs) And also, there's one other thing I wanted to mention, if not many other things, just to give some context. Those of you who don't remember, who weren't there or whatever, you'll see on the DVD, before Wilson Phillips performs You're So Good to Me, China Phillips said, I want to dedicate this performance to my dad. This was right after John Phillips died. Yeah, yeah. It was like a couple of days later, I yeah. think. So that's why that's in there. Mm. So yeah, that was quite a thing. That was quite a thing. Oh, man. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of the high points of our Brianista existence. (laughs) Yeah, that we're we're talking about it 21 years later, and I still remember it as if it just happened like yesterday. Yeah, I'm so glad we were able to get tickets and that we were able to attend. Mm. Yeah, we had heard rumblings about that. I think when we were at the B.B. King show the previous November, Mm -hmm. we heard that this this was going to happen and that they would release tickets for it. And sure enough, ooh, there it was. Yep. And what it was, it was a whole series of TNT tributes that year. And I remember we watched the John Lennon one, Mm -hmm. which was supposed to air at a certain, I think, October 9th on his birthday. But September 11th happened and threw everything off. And they kind of made it a combination New York City celebration slash John Lennon Memorial. And I think it was also um, some kind of fundraiser as well. Oh, I'm sure it was. And the thing is, I watched it because the Beatles are everything to me, (laughs) as many people know. And I was actually sad watching that because the big moment of the night was when Sean Lennon took the stage. Yeah, and he was fantastic. He was wonderful, absolutely. He he sang with... um, uh, Rufus, I was going to say Loudon Wayne. It's Rufus, Rufus Wayne, right? And, and Jacob um, Dylan? No, not Jacob <laughs> Dylan. Um, oh, it was the guy with just one name. Beck? I forgot his name. No, not that. Oh, good Lord. Yeah, <laughs> um, I would have turned Moby? the TV off. Moby? Moby, that's yeah. right. Yeah. And they sounded great, but I'm thinking this is really sad. Because John's, John's not there. Because John's not there for his tribute. Brian yeah. was able to and, be there uh, for his tribute. Remember, John wasn't. I remember 
Sean wore a t-shirt that said uh, Bermuda 80 on it. Oh, yeah. That shirt belonged to John from the Bermuda trip that he took in 1980. I thought yeah. it was like 77. No, that was in 1980. It was oh. not long before he was assassinated. It was like that summer. Hmm. That, I thought it was yeah. earlier. So oh, that wow. shirt was, yeah, that shirt was from that time. Well, he could have gone to Bermuda at another time, but I'm saying he definitely went there in 1980, because okay. I think that's when he was sailing a boat during a storm, and it was like very, yeah. you know, very edgy for a while, but he he was out there being a sailor, and he and the crew got through it. But uh, yeah, because I remember uh, they did This Boy. Yeah. Oh, man. You know, that boy took my love away. That really hit me in the gut when I heard that line. Oh, my God. Do you remember any of the other tributes they did? Or if they, I thought there was a whole series. I don't know. I don't know. I think the John one is the only one, other one we paid attention to. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's who we are. And uh, we should give acknowledgement to others who are at the Brian tribute. There was Evan and Jaron. Ooh. Yeah. Evan and Jaron. We, we never heard about we ever never, again. Well, the thing is, we had never heard of them. Nobody had ever heard of them, but they were just about to be really big for about five minutes. Yeah, they weren't They weren't big and for very their long. Their one hit coincided, I think, with the broadcast. Yeah. Uh, let's see. The Go-Go's, they did Little Honda and mm-hmm. Surf City. Yeah. Little Honda, I don't think, made the broadcast, and it definitely didn't make the DVD. Because their whole bag was they were going to perform songs that Brian produced for other people. Even mm-hmm. though the Beach Boys did Little Honda, I think the Hondells version was the one that was more popular at yeah. the time. Uh, let's see. Carly Simon, what else did she do besides... Besides bore me to death? Oh, come on. Sorry, I'm... That's I've, mean. I know, but... no, I've, I had no problem I've with never, her. I've, I never really cared much for her work. Oh, in my room, yeah, she did that with David Crosby and Jimmy Webb. <laughs> uh, nothing wrong with Carly Simon. Um, I don't... Yeah, I, okay, the Radio City Orchestra is listed on the oh, DVD. Okay. Special guest Cameron Crowe. Yeah, he did another narration. And, of um, course, they showed a clip of... Uh, Almost famous when William opens up the bag of albums that his sister bequeathed the to him. The albums that were Cameron Crowe's personal records that he kept changing the order of in the bag, but always the first record that you see when William opens the bag is Pet Sounds. Yes. And, and it's Cameron Crowe's personal copy of Pet Sounds. And one of the introducers was Rachel Hunter whom I honestly never heard of before that, and apparently I should have heard of her. Because <laughs> wasn't she married to Rod Stewart at some time I or something? I have no idea. She, I think she's a model I or something. I still don't know who I, she yeah. is. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. No disrespect, meant. But, <laughs> but yeah, that was such a good night. Um, Actually, let me do a quick looky-loo just to see if there's anything else worth mentioning that they performed but might not have made. I think we've covered everything. So, the complete set was Our Prayer, California Girls, Help Me, Rhonda, Surfer Girl, Surf City, Little Honda, In My Room, The Warmth of the Sun, performed by Vince Gill, I Get Around by Evan and Jaren, Good Vibrations, Surf's Up, Don't Worry Baby, Sail on Sailor, You're So Good to Me, Heroes and Villains, Lay Down Burden, Do It Again, then All of Pet Sounds, then Barbara Ann, Surfing USA, and Fun Fun Fun, and Love and Mercy. Oh, and you are credited on Eric Anniversario's set list well, archive yeah, for providing that. that was all of my notes that I yep. stayed up until 3 a.m. typing up. Yeah, but it was a grueling night, though, because we're there for all that time. 
I went to a Jerry Springer taping once. That was about as long as an episode. This thing, though, went on forever because of all the retakes. And there are times when the technical director or somebody uh, with, I don't know who it was, but he had a British accent. There are times when he would say, could we get a round of applause, please? Just to record (laughs) some applause to come in and out with. And oh my God, it was such a wonderful night. Really great night. And 21 years later, we're still talking about it. That's right. Anywho, um, should we call it a day for this episode of Tune X podcast? I think we should. It's a day. 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 Yeah. I, <laughs> somebody was going to go there. And, yeah. Well, anyway, uh, thank you all for listening and uh, Sean signing off. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Tune X podcast. Please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or iTunes. You can hear us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and just about every other provider out there. If TuneX isn't on your favorite provider, please let us know. You can email us at tunexpodcast at gmail.com. Our website, which includes the show notes, is tunex.fab4it.com. Fab4IT is spelled F-A-B and then the number four and then I-T. Feel free to connect with us on social media. TuneX is on Facebook and we're also on Instagram and Twitter, both under the handle of TuneX Podcast. Our opening and closing theme, Melody 10, was written and performed by Scattered Frog. All other music and sounds used in this episode remain the properties of their respective copyright holders and are used for the purposes of commentary and review. No infringement is intended. We'll see you next time, folks. Until then, don't, don't back, back down, down from, from that, that wave. wave. Oh, f- it, who cares? <laughs>